When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. Tim Ryder from the Apple. James Ciano, our buddy from, uh, he's over at Pitcher List. He is the co-host of the Mets Up podcast. And I just found this out today. There's a QB list, which is like an NFL version of Pitcher List. Um, you know, we could go ahead and scrap all the Mets talk. I just want to hear about QB list. I mean, I, I actually just, well, first of all, what's up, everybody? James here. Nice, <laughs> nice, nice to meet everyone out there, and the Apple listeners. But, um, yeah, I just kind of jumped in with them this year. I've always been a big football fan along with baseball. It's they're always kind of been my 1A and my 1B. Baseball had more of an affinity for just because I love the Mets more than the Jets, and I played it. I foot my size preluded me, uh, precluded me from playing football ever. But I wrote, like – um like a review of one game a week on there during the season. It's definitely, it's like the sister side pitcher list. Definitely not as big. It doesn't have as much critical appeal, but there are still some very, uh, very sharp people writing over there. Do some great insights, especially for fantasy football season. Uh, analytical angles and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, as analytical as you can be with football, because sure. I, there's not a lot, of, a lot of information that's public, like that's publicly available to people like you and I, like there is in baseball with fan graphs and baseball stuff. On. So it's more of like, watching the game and doing some film stuff. I even had my own blog I wrote last year when I was uh, kind of bored. I was back living with my parents for a few months. It was called RJ Drafts. And I did like pages and pages of NFL draft preview, mock drafts, top fives and stuff. So I like, I like, I like breaking down the film sometimes, seeing, seeing how a play develops. Nice. Excellent. Um, yeah. Uh, before we jump into baseball, who's your pick for the Super Bowl this weekend? Everything in my brain is telling me the Rams. Everything in my heart is telling me the Bengals. So I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, let's just have some fun. I think I'm with you 100%. I think that um, Cincinnati's O-line is going to have a lot of trouble with L.A. Tons. I also think that Cincinnati's defense can at least try to keep those wide receivers in check and hopefully keep Akers, you know, away from open field because, you know, that's a dangerous, dangerous offense. It's terrifying offense. And you've seen the Bengals be able to handle, like, solid number one receivers his entire postseason between keeping AJ Brown off the ledger and then keeping Tyreek Hill, like mostly at bay along with Kelsey two weeks ago. But I don't know the Rams, the Rams just do things differently in offense than other teams. Like they run so much motion with McVay. They get so many, they get so many open looks in the middle of the field. Like I don't even understand it, but they, the Rams the Bengals defense has been underrated all season. I think they could really compete. I think, I, you know, it's going to be getting pressure on Stafford and, um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to a good game. I'm a Giants fan, so I, um, in my heart, I'm rooting for, for Odell Beckham. Um, well, we'll see how that shakes out. I really want to see him win a Super Bowl. I, I just, I, I, as a fan, I was hurt when he left. Not when he left, when the Giants kind of, you know, yeah. jettisoned him. And uh, yeah, I'm rooting for him. I was rooting for him in Cleveland too. But he's uh, more, he's more or less the X factor in the game. It's gonna because now with like no, no Robert Woods for like the last month or so. No, I don't think Tyler Higby is playing this game. I know we caught the injury in the t- title game, but. They're going to need someone to stay open over the middle of the field to be able to win one-on-one while the Bengals probably double-team Cooper Cup. It's going to fall on Odell. Yeah, uh, him and I'd like to see Van Jefferson get involved. I like him a lot. I love Van Jefferson. I think his 
dad or his uncle is a wide receiver coach of the Jets, which is pretty funny. Is that right? I had no idea. Yeah, they were linked to him pre-draft. And he was a great player in college at the University of Florida. And apparently the Jets have needed wide receivers since I was born. So it would have been, <laughs> it would have been a good match. But they, they yet the Rams ended up jumping his, uh, his like perceived value there. But he's a good player, really good player. Oh, yeah. No, that's just a, that's a fun team. And I forget about it. That defense is just vicious. But, yeah, this is not a football bad podcast. It's a baseball podcast. I think we're mm-hmm. going to knock out our bad news first. Um, Definitely. we have lockout updates. I, I haven't, we didn't record last week. So just a quick refresher. Um, the MLBPA made an offer to the league that wa- wasn't even countered. Uh, MLB instead requested a federal mediator to get involved, which, you know, we've spoken about this a bit previously here on the show. The players are making all sorts of concessions. MLB really hasn't budged off of anything. Is a mediator really necessary at this point? And, and we asked that question here, you know, the first time, and, and, and it kind of still stands. But this week, the owners are in Orlando. They have their owners meeting. The players are in Arizona. They'll be in Florida towards the end of the week. But there's no meeting scheduled between the two parties. Rob Manfred's scheduled to talk to the media on Thursday, and now it's expected he's going to announce uh, spring training is going to be delayed. James, who's to blame here and why is it the owner's fault? <laughs> of course, my, my non-legal and non-expert opinion, I would agree with that. That is definitely the owner's fault. It's just, it's just <laughs> annoying that the owners are able to negotiate from such a massive position of power to where they can claim that they locked out the players to, to create urgency when they've made one offer in the last like 50 or so days. And that offer itself wasn't even very serious without any concessions from their end. And Oh, it's just really disappointing that they can use every tool at their disposal between public relations, media, and just, again, operating from this position where they only have to keep 30 people in check as opposed to the players keeping a couple thousand people in check and be able to kind of like turtle or like armadillo and like hold tight and just wait until something breaks. Because apparently they just don't care about ruining the sport that provides their wealth and that they built. Well, yeah, they're seeing, you know, the, someone I read somewhere that MLB teams, their values grow by around 140 million per year. That's on a team by team basis. You know, I think these guys are going to, I think it's understated how much they're actually making as MOB owners and they can cry poor as much as they want. But um, in the long run, like you said, they're just going to stand pat until they get exactly what they want. And um, they're billionaires. The pressure, you know, that you might say, oh yeah, there's pressure on them. They're going to lose money. They're not going to lose money. This is money that they're, this is like money sitting on a, on a gambling table for them. You know, you don't buy a sports franchise if it's not if it's money that you're not willing to play around with. And they're you know, they've dug their heels in and it's really um, it's disappointing. You know, I've heard a couple of people talk about, you know, now with spring training, maybe getting pushed back and spring training games, the financial pressure on the league begins. Like, I don't buy that for a second. <laughs> um you know, spring training gate receipts. I think gate receipts in general, uh, I don't believe they they count for more than, you know, 10, 15% tops. But, um, you know, your, your regional sports credits, if you're missing out on spring training TV games, those get transferred over to next year. The owners can really just sit there and wait. They, they can wait for the players to concede even more. And it's, um, you know, in the past, when they tried doing this stuff, even in 94, 95, you know, putting out PR hits through newspapers and everyone kind of had to buy it because that's all there was. Today's fan is just a smarter breed of fan. And at least on social media, on Twitter, 
people are kind of seeing through the bullshit and it's really um it's encouraging to an extent because I think the pressure is being put back on MLB. Like they tried to, Oh, we need a mediator. And you know, of course it's a small sample size. It's Twitter, but not a lot of people bought that story. And if they did, they were, you know, their minds were changed really fast. I think MLB is um, behind the times. I think the players going out and speaking their minds is turning a lot of fans um, who would have, you know, both sides, this thing into, you know, seriously, you know, on the player's side. And that's the type of pressure that I think MLB needs to feel. Definitely. And I do think that you touching on the type of fan that's on Twitter. I think that's important to note because while the fan on Twitter is probably a minority in terms of all of baseball fans in this country, it's at worst a vocal majority. Like those are the people whose contrasting viewpoints are going to be much more readily available to other people, especially the people who are in, I mean, I don't want to say people that are in baseball media, but those are the voices of the fan that are going to be much louder. And those voices are also going to skew a little bit more to the left, a little bit more liberal. And those type of people are always usually going to be pro-union and pro-labor. So that's just another uh, facet that I think that is changing this lockout compared to the lockout to the past or player strikes to the past. Not that it's a strike, it's a player lockout, but it's going to be interesting to see the owners continue to dig their heels. And while spring training isn't a massive amount of leverage for the players, it's at least a morsel of leverage, something that they haven't had yet in this negotiation. So it's at least something that they're not losing, the owners lose. It's definitely not significant, like you said, but at least it is something, albeit very small, that's something. Well, I think for the players, it, it carries a lot of water just because they need spring training to, to put themselves. I mean, they don't need it. Of course, they're professional athletes. You have to assume they're training through the offseason, but you know, spring training has its purpose. It, it puts the best product on the field for once the regular season begins. And, you know, I think MLB, let's say they delay it. Let's say they hold, you know, hold spring training and the start of the regular season ransom for, you know, in, in a sense, for waiting for the players to kind of cave even further than they have. I don't want to say cave, but concede even more than they already have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're, <laughs> they're going to shoot themselves in the foot, man. I, I just, I, I, you know, naturally the league has a, a course of action they're trying to follow. I just don't get it from, from my point of view. And again, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a labor person. Um, I, I just, I don't understand it. The public perception. And you could tell when they tried to call in the mediator, they wanted to kind of sway that public opinion. It just didn't work. I just, I'm confused. It feels like things are about as far apart as they possibly could be. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm concerned for the start of the season. I try to stay optimistic, but I, I'm at a loss. I'm still not really concerned about the start of the season just because there's there's still so much money involved and something that hasn't been talked about a lot publicly, and I'm sure this is to the owner's, to the owner's choice and their own like manifestation of what's going on, is that MLB is currently in negotiation with Apple on a massive nationwide streaming deal that's going to kind of supersede the MLB network. I don't remember exactly what it's called. Not extra innings. It used to be extra innings. It's MLB.TV. It's basically going to be a more inclusive MLB.TV. And that's supposed to have been negotiated around this time ahead of this season. So the owners still know that that's a massive ticket that they do need to cash in on. And I think that it's going to hurt them massively if they don't get this thing started on time while trying to negotiate that deal. And they're still, yeah. they still owe their own regional sports networks money from the games lost in 2020. And again, they're owners and they have billions of dollars, but... Those are still those are still receipts that they have to pay out. So I think that once actual money is in jeopardy of being lost, as long as the players can hold tight for a little bit longer, some, they'll get they'll probably get one out of the five things they've asked for, and everyone will leave the table feeling like they lost. But we'll play baseball on time. 
I hope so, man. Because, you know, the players have lost, you know, not lost, but they've, they've come out on the short end of the last, what, two CBAs, three CBAs, depends on who you're asking. Um, I just feel like they're, you know, hopefully they're, they're tying their wagon to the, the changes that are going to make the most change. I guess the, the issues that are going to bring upon the most change you know, getting your pre-arb guys paid, getting your minimum salary raised, making sure the teams are trying to compete. You know, this is what's important. This is what's going to further the game. Um, when bottom lines are coming into this for a 10 plus billion a year industry, it's just, it's very, uh, you know, it's, it's discouraging. It's uh, disheartening. It's, it's, it's shitty. I, I was going to talk about the Tyler Skaggs thing. I really don't have the heart to do it. Um, it's, yeah, I don't, yeah. We don't I, I don't have you know, we're, we don't have all the information. Um, it's a very just a very sad situation. And uh, maybe once this all comes out, we will come back to it. But you can hear that I am crumpling up our skag segment <laughs> because, uh, yeah, I just don't have the heart to do it. James, I hope you don't mind. No, I don't mind even one bit. Just, I mean, it, it was like two headlines that broke yesterday and it kind of gave every Met fan a pit in their stomach because you think about players in the Mets past who we've seen. Uh, disintegrate from massive talents to to not having the skill level anymore to compete on that high level. Then you look at how quickly Matt Harvey deteriorated and it kind of gives you a, I don't know, it, you, the mind will run wild in the wrong way. Yeah. No, I, you know, and I, I will give everyone a heads up to go read uh, Sam Blum. I hope it's Sam Blum and not Sam Bloom, but <laughs> Sam over at The Athletic, um, he had a, a very, very intricate news article on Tuesday's proceedings in court. Um, all facts. And, and again, it kind of lays out what we know at this point uh, for any Mets fan listening. Matt Harvey's name was brought up by the uh, the defense as a possible other supplier. Um, Matt Harvey's also a witness for the prosecution later in the week. So at this point, it's just a lot of posturing. It, it's court stuff, which I'm not <laughs> I don't have the, the ability to get into and on the personal and, you know, the addiction side of things. Uh, again, I just don't have the, uh, the heart to get into that talk. I've been through up and down that, that road myself more than, uh, more than once in my lifetime. And it's just a, a sad situation. And I think my, I personally, my heart goes out to Tyler Skaggs family, his friends, his teammates. Um, it's reconjuring all this stuff just has to be so, uh, so painful. And I couldn't imagine it, but yeah, shall we same, move on James? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to say the same goes for anyone else out there battling something yes. right now because you know how difficult yes. that could be a hundred percent and anybody who is struggling um talk to someone taking that first step out is, is always the most important one and uh jump on twitter follow me on twitter my dms are always open and and i'm happy to to chat with you because uh as i said it's i've been in recovery for years and uh i'm happy to share my experiences with uh with anyone who needs to hear them but uh james let's let's take a real real quick break come back and talk some mets yeah, for sure. Excellent. Everybody hang tight. We'll be right back. Have you ever experienced turbulence on a flight and wondered why? And you can see all the terrain around you. Uh, you've got no issue with visibility or anything? No, nah, everything's PG. Maybe you've sat on the tarmac for hours wondering why your plane isn't moving. Well, we're outside here. They're saying the ramp is closed. They won't let us park because of uh, Air Force One. Listen in on the conversations between pilots and air traffic controllers on the Air Traffic Out of Control podcast. 510 declaring an emergency. There's smoke in the cabin. I need to make a landing right now on 31 left. We have the most interesting, wild, and funny ATC recordings you will ever hear. Check out Air Traffic Out of Control wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. 
All right. Welcome back. All right. That was fun. <laughs> Took a little detour at the end of that, the first half. But uh, back with James Ciano. Again, contributor of Pitchers List, co-host of the Mets Up podcast with our buddy Mark Luino, friend of the pod. Uh, mm-hmm. You guys have a lot of fun over there, huh? Yeah, we have tons of fun. We love it so much, honestly. <laughs> It's it's a fucking just a great. I don't know. My I, I don't know if I curse on here. No cursing on here, right? No curse. Go ahead, curse. It's a fucking great time. We, we <laughs> really have a blast. Like we had so much fun during the season, and we're both we both have uh, lifestyles outside of that podcast that allow us to kind of take some more chances and kind of give more time to certain things. And we were able to get some crazy interviews with some of the big Mets prospects this year, like Francisco Alvarez, Brett Bailey, Ronnie Mauricio. We able we did some stuff with the Fall League and we went to a couple of Cyclones games. We uh. We've done some live stuff that's done really well, like the trade deadline. We did a live stream with Max Scherzer tonight. We did a crazy live stream that got up to 5,000 people live, which was unbelievable. But yeah, it's fun just being able to kind of rip this shit with um, a friend. Mark and I went to high school together. We lived together for a year and then just about something we both know and love as baseball in the Mets. That's awesome, man. And then, yeah, it, I guess YouTube is a world that I haven't really jumped into. It's something that I'd like to jump into. But boy, that's um, it really gives you guys avenues to kind of explore everything in a, in a very unique way definitely and it's helped us specifically because mark is so tech savvy with all of the video stuff that we've done so it's yeah. just it's really helpful and he has all, as much equipment as you could ever possibly imagine for someone doing <laughs> this on his own so it's really helpful that we can like just show up to like a dugout and he could just whip out a tripod and a really nice camera and we can and really nice microphones that block wind and we can sit down and can get something done to jeff that's great it's excellent i you know i i, I must think about mark once a week i sold mark a uh a vladimir guerrero rookie card a pink refractor and yeah. i must think about that card once a week and i said i hope giraffe neck mark is keeping good care of that thing so what's up buddy i hope my card is doing well oh my god we have we had the conversation before last season because he's gotten way into cards and i've been like try like trepidatiously getting into cards i don't know i just like i try to keep my disposable income in more what i think are secure places even though i think the card market has shown to be pretty pretty stable for the last few years but Last year, we're like, all right, we're going to get some black cards. We're going to do it. I, of course, like got cold feet, didn't do it. Mark went in for some black cards and uh, the rich get richer, I guess. Oh, you know, and that's the that's the thin line of, of, of the hobby is is finding fun in it and, and, and tickling that nostalgia and, and kind of making it self-sustaining because, yeah, there is value in these things. And it's kind of an, you know, an intrinsic value type thing like. What what means something to me when I collect it, and what can I sell to keep on funding my collection? Like I, I'm I'm never going to get well. I might maybe that Luis Robert stack I'm looking at right now, maybe, but um, never going to get rich off doing this stuff. But it is a self sustaining hobby, and my wife doesn't mind, and <laughs> call me a geek and a nerd, and it's it's fun. It's it's great. I, I have a really good time doing it. And, uh, I'm- I, mean, Tim, I, I would tell you right now to never say never because one of my best friends from childhood, literally like basically my brother has lived on my street my whole life. Our, our sisters are best friends. Our moms are best friends. He like five or six years ago got into cars just because he was uh, living at home during college and a bunch of our like friends, whatever had gone away or just lived out or this and that. The other thing, people's lives get busy. So him and his little cousin, who I think was like only 13 or 14 at the time started buying and selling baseball cards. This was 2015, 2016. By the time 2018, 19 hit, he had hit pretty big on uh, Alex Bregman, Trey Turner, a couple other prospects that came there and he was starting to turn in some serious money. And then just by making connections in the card industry, he ended up partnering with someone who was a little bit more well-established both in cards and in his own life as um, a person who worked for a small financial firm who was Mm -hmm. very savvy with things like 
projecting and creating very intuitive Excel models, they pulled their assets together and they, in 2018, 2019, went basically said, we have to go as all in as we can on one or two players who we think are going to hit to take this to the next level as this market grows. And the player that they chose was Luka Doncic as a rookie. <laughs> Luka Doncic has become one of the biggest superstars on earth. Their cards all went, I don't even want to know. I, I can't even give it a number. 10X, 20X, 15X. Oh my God, and, sky high. And now these two are sitting on a mountain of gold and two are, are two of the most revered members of the card community. They're buying and selling high-priced, incredible cards every single day, like you wouldn't believe, going to card shows all over the country every single month. JD Baseball Cards on Instagram, if anybody oh. wants to check out some amazing they cards. They have shows on Long Island, don't they? I don't think they do their own shows because they, they're still mostly just the two of these guys who just basically oh, that's buy, JR's, buy and sell high value. Excuse me, that's JR's, yeah. Yeah, but they just they basically show up to shows and they have a pretty good uh, a pretty solid following at this point. But they they have like LeBron's, Jordan's, Brady's now. It's unbelievable the stuff That's that great. the cards that they're pushing right now. I uh, you know Luca Luca took a little dip on his prices. Um, I guess in the in the heart of the season that always happens. Once the playoffs start, once he's you know pushing a triple double almost every night. Uh, yeah, watch. He's going to be right back up there. That's a that's a heck of a play. Basketball is a crazy market. I only do a little bit of basketball. I collect my Knicks and, you know, I have like a box of rookies, but that's it. Uh, baseball is really my thing, but basketball is like wild market. Oh, my goodness. And the car market itself is just insane right now. I feel like a lot oh, of it's like um, hobby and based investments on the baseball side, it's picking up in a lockout, which is extremely surprising. Like around this time, things will be absolutely booming. Guys are reporting back to spring training. Once spring training games start, you know, the first guy who hits a big home run, his car prices shoot up. Like it's all that type of fun stuff. But um, now with all the prospect cards coming out, Bowman draft just came out. Uh, Marcelo Mayer from the Red Sox is a very popular name. Uh, you know, it just, it's kind of reignited the hobby and it's almost uncharted waters because there's nothing to build off of it. There's nothing actually going on. It's, 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 it's strange, but it's fun. Yeah. This strange. I was a big collector when I was a kid. Like I had binders and binders in my parents' house, yeah. tons and tons of cars. I used to arrange them by team, division league. Sure. Like I was a real, I was a real dork about it, but it's, it's fun. I like to see that this like kind of geeky nerdy market that us like sports and baseball fanatics can love has actual intrinsic value, which is funny. Well, and it's, and it's funny. Cause you know, I'll keep what I want. I'll, you know, I'll buy what I want and then I'll just throw everything else on eBay. Mad stuff. It feels like work. Like you're, you're sitting there listing stuff and, yeah. and you know, it's, um, it, it gets to be uh meticulous gets to be a little redundant, but then, you know, when you, you buy something cool with the funds and it's like, Oh, this is awesome. I'm putting this up on the wall stand. It's like, Oh, that was all worth it. That was a good time. And that's kind of the payoff, but yeah, we'll see where the, uh, where the hobby goes. Now the tops is going into fanatics and mm-hmm. Oh, if you guys missed that episode, me and money, Mitch P talked about that. Ooh, maybe three or four episodes back. Go ahead and give it a listen, but let's go back into the Mets. James. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think, well, I know I certainly don't remember one. Uh, the Mets are having an old timers day on August 27th. Tickets on sale now. Go get them. Um, scale of one to 10. How excited are you for this? Ooh, scale of one to 10, maybe like a, like a four. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think it's cool that it's going to be a lot of old timers, but I don't think I have been around long enough to really be able to appreciate a lot of the old timers are going to be in this game. And the fact that we're getting everybody from, like Daniel Murphy and all the way back to guys from the eighties is kind of funny. The fact Daniel Murphy's an old timer is going to just make me feel kind of upset about it, but it's cool <laughs> that the Mets are at least doing something that a lot of fans have expressed interest in. They are bringing it back. Like it's cool to see that Steve Cohen has listened to people 
and already begun to follow through on promises that he's made at the start of his ownership. Yeah, I know. I think they, they said that in the uh, in the press release that this is something that the fans are really calling for. That's something that um, I guess Daniel Murphy and Robin Ventura, Cliff Floyd were all kind of applauding during the presser yesterday. You know, just giving a nod to the history of the franchise. It's been 60 years. It's cool. And I, I honestly think that initial list that came out is just the start. And I, I have it here. 92 year old Frank Thomas is going to be out there. Oh my God. Uh, not, that's not the big hurt folks. It's Frank Thomas <laughs> way back. Uh, Ron Swoboda, John Matlack, Felix Mian, Mookie Wilson, Howard Johnson, Bobby Ojeda, Robin Ventura, Turk Wendell, Andy Chavez, Cliff Floyd. And of course we just mentioned Daniel Murphy. You know, I think we saw Mike Piazza announced that he's going to be uh, appearing. Todd Pratt said something on Twitter yesterday that he's going to be there. I wouldn't be surprised if they really kind of go to enthrall the the younger fan, the the the, the mid twenties fan who like kind of were indoctrinated during that 06, 07, 08 run, or mm-hmm. even twenty fifteen for some for, for some even younger fans. But you know, bring Pedro, bring Johan, you know, bring David Wright and Jose Reyes, bring John Nain back, bring John Meese back, whatever. Like, I think they could really turn this into something fun. Yeah, definitely, because the Mets are a team, well, they've never really had a forever player, to quote Don LaGreca. They've had a lot of very interesting players, like take a stop in Queens, a three, four, five, six-year jump here. I'd like to see a guy like John Olerud play in the game, who was really good yes. in a short stint with the Mets. Um, who else? I mean, Bel- I would love to see Beltron show up. Like, that'd be really cool. I'm sure his uh, his all of the employment opportunities he has might prelude him from that, but I think he like there's a lot of fun guys you can pull from every era of, of the Mets. That would be interesting. Billy Wagner would be a hilarious guy to see out there. Maybe have him throw righty. The rumors are he could still throw almost as hard as he could lefty from the right side. That'd be fun to experiment with, but (laughs) but the Mets do have a lot of interesting players that have appeared with them in their franchise history. Oh, they should do a game just for like current players that they've traded away. You know, it can't be like licensed, like an affiliated game, but like get like Kalanick back, (laughs) get get all these guys they traded away and be like, play them against like the current Mets. I could brainstorm with that for a while. That would be fun. Mark what? and I, when the offseason started got going in the Mets Dub podcast, we did um, we did a starting a starting lineup of the most Mets team ever, and it wasn't like the best Mets ever. It was just those guys who stand out in like Mets history, especially from our lifetime. So we had guys like Kaz Matsui, Mo Vaughn, Pelfrey, yeah. um, Pedro Feliciano, Duaner Sanchez, the guys who like you can point into your brain and be like, something so Mets happened to this guy. And we got <laughs> a lot of people on Twitter really confused about it that we weren't naming like Piazza and Seaver and Kuzman, but it was, it was a fun thing. Cause you, as the Mets, you have to kind of lean into that history. Like the Mets have always been more of like that rough and tough, like blue collar organization. So it's, it's kind of fun that they're gonna, they're going to lean back into their history. Cause it's still a very fun and very exciting history. Oh, most definitely. And uh, you know, this season, it looks like they're trying to add to that history. They've really gone full bore, you know, uh, before the lockout, they really, they went out and, 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 made the necessary additions to kind of take this roster to the next level, whether it's your, your Martes, your, your Max Scherzers. I mean, they, they really, they, they did what they could before the buzzer ran out there. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about what's left to kind of accomplish. And I guess, depending on the lens that you look at it through, it's, it's debatable where they should go. Like starting rotation wise, you're looking at Jacob DeGrom, Max Scherzer, Cookie Carrasco, Taiwan Walker, and then your depth guys, your McGills, your Petersons, maybe Lucchese later in the year. One would assume, and reports have kind of propped up, that the Mets will be looking for more starting pitching. Do you think that a 
more of a middle to frontline guy to kind of really go for it is necessary or is more back-end depth the preferred route? And, and I guess not the preferred route, but which way would you go? I guess that would, that would be my question. If it was me making these moves, and I think this is necessary for the Mets to actually be able to compete at a high level with the better teams in the National League, I think they need to put tons of more resources into this rotation. I think the way the Mets stack up right now, like you see like the best case scenario as a rotation that can bring you to a World Series, but I definitely don't see even like the 50th percentile scenario or at worst, like the zero with percentile scenario is a team that could be possibly even win this division. I think the Mets have to give tons of resources into either the trade market to getting a guy who can give them very high level innings, like uh, with the Reds, either Castillo or Sonny Gray, or you look at the uh, Oakland A's, either Frankie Montas or Sean Maniah, Chris Bassett. They have, and even that in free agency, the pickings right now aren't exactly uh, ripe, but I, I can almost guarantee that they're going to be in the market for Carlos Rodon. It's basically the only realistic and exciting starting pitcher on the market. I'm sure they're going to give a call to Tyler Anderson, Yusei Kikuchi. I'm sure they're going to try to woo Kershaw. I know it's probably not possible. Cranky, I think, is an interesting option, but I don't think he's going to be involved as well. But I think the Mets are most definitely going to, going to seek starting pitching. I think you really need to get this team at least 200-ish more innings if you really want to have a shot to even just get over the Braves and win that division and get a, get a home game one at City Field this year. Right, and Zips kind of has the NL East looking like a very, very tough division. I mean, the NL East has always been kind of in the middle, but better than people have thought for the last few years, just because the Mets always project well because they always have good players, but they're always a little bit older and they always have the massive injury risks. Like you basically just lost Syndergaard's injury risk, and now we're going to wait on Carrasco to possibly give us that production. Jacob DeGrom, Lord knows what's going to happen with him. We're all keeping our fingers crossed. But if we get 150 innings, I think we should be on our hands and knees thanking the forces of heaven above. <laughs> and then, you, and then, like the, the, the entire Mets, like infield this year, you're expecting a not a bounce back. We're expecting a lot of production out of, especially Lindor. I think Pete Alonso last year secretly became one of the best hitters in baseball, but no one really noticed because his counting stats kind of lacked because of how poor the rest of the Mets lineup was. But Marte is a high floor. He's a great baseball player. Mark Canna does a lot of things well. Eduardo Escobar, I'm not as high on, but he does tons of things well. He's going to be a big addition to this clubhouse and add some stability to the infield. But they really need pitching because the Braves are very good. And they're deep. The Phillies are underrated. They have two of the five, two of probably the 12 best pitchers in the National League on that team. The Marlins are not going to be a doormat anymore. They have a very good young rotation. And the Nationals aren't good, but they're still going to give you tough games because they still have one. So that was going to hit. He's the Mets are going to lose to a couple of games in Nationals no matter what happens. So I think that this division is going to be highly competitive. And the Mets need to do a lot to make sure they're at the top, top of it. Oh, I have the Marlins as, a, as an extremely competitive team very soon. I'm not sure if it's going to be this year. Uh, it certainly could be the way that their young players are, are developing, the way that they're pitching is, is coming of age. Uh, that, that's a scary, scary young team. I could, um, I could definitely see them being a force, if not this year, within the next couple of years. And yeah, you have very young cores all over the place. I think, you know, Philly has a, um, an aging core in Real Muto and, and, and Harper, but, you know, Wheeler's in his prime. Look at Atlanta. They're coming off a World Series win with, you know, arguably the best young core in baseball. Washington's going to find their way back around very soon. You know they will. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting to an extent, but I agree. The Mets have to go out and they have to kind of reinforce everything. Now, third base has been discussed at length. Um, I think a lot of fans would love to see the Mets go out and get a Chris Bryant. They'd like to see the Mets go out and trade for uh, Matt Chapman or, oh, my God, 
I'd be over the moon if they were in on Jose Ramirez, but that's going to be a, uh, an absolute long shot. But, you know, there's a lot of moving parts that would accompany such a move. And even if they went out and signed a free agent in a, in a Chris Bryan, or maybe even, you know, just a, a third base free agent, you know, you have guys who have been mentioned, you know, incumbent core guys who have been mentioned as possible uh, trade candidates. You have guys who are still here, you know, Luis Guillorme with the options still who has versatility on the infield. I'm going to go real quick through. I have, maybe what do we have? Six names. We got six names here. I want you to just, let's just see where these guys fit into the plans as, as things kind of evolve. Jeff McNeil, Jeff McNeil could play all over the infield, play a little corner outfield has been mentioned in trade rumors. Um, not specific, but has been being shopped. Jeff McNeil, is he staying or is he going? If it's my gut decision, I think based on the momentum that we've seen, I would assume that he's going. I just don't know if the Mets are in a position to move on from one of the few versatile and defensive, like defensive forward players on this roster without having an immediate replacement. I've talked at length about the shortcomings of the Mets bench on the Mets Dub podcast, even both during last season and during this offseason before the lockout struck. And I think that I can't see the way the Mets bench aligns right now, how it could make sense to put out a roster with a lot of players who can do a lot of different things. Well, Jeff McNeil's not on it unless they have either high hopes for guys in the minor leagues, but even those guys are still not defensive first players, or they see something in some of the remaining lower level free agents, like a Donovan Solano or a Brad Miller that I just simply don't see. So I think that if the Mets are like steadfast and committed to trading McNeil, I believe that they will do it because he's a guy who will have some type of value more so than most of the other fringe roster players in this team. But I don't see how it in one move, how trading McNeil will immediately make you a better team. I agree. And I, I think that out of the, like I have him as three incumbents, you know, McNeil, Dom Smith and JD Davis. Yeah. Those I think McNeil probably has the, the, the highest chance of sticking around. I'd love to see Don Smith stay just because he's a left-handed bat off the bench. He plays first base very, very well defensively. Um, we've seen him at his, I think, I don't want to say at his peak, but at his, at his, you know, best up until this point um, on offense. And I think that he can certainly still bring value to the team. I'm, I'm very tossed up, I guess, torn up on JD Davis. I, I think that JD Davis could be an ideal bench player. I do not think that J.D. Davis as your starting third baseman or even as a part-time third baseman is indicative of a World Series caliber team. I just don't. I think him on the bench could be a a, a step in that direction. I just don't feel like uh, – I feel like it's more of a liability. And I know that his bat's terrific and he gets on base at a terrific clip, but – you know, if he's getting a start a week, but he's mostly a, a pinch hitter, what, what have you, I think that lengthens out the bench and you, you stick a McNeil or an Escobar or however you want to work it. I still want to see Guillaume get reps and really give McNeil and, and Escobar reps at third. But I think McNeil, as, as I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Davis as strictly a bench player would actually lengthen this team's resources to uh, – you know, I guess that next upper echelon level. I don't disagree with you. And I think out of that whole group of three, that JD, in my opinion, like has the clear highest offensive ceiling of the group. Like he hits the ball harder than all those guys. He 
the strikeouts are very much in check. They're not lower than McNeil's, of course, but for the power, more power he has for than McNeil, I think they're at an extremely acceptable level. Like barrel rate is something that I hold a lot of uh, credence with, and he has by far the highest barrel rate consistently out of that group. JD Dave, it's just he just can't. He can never play third base. It's kind of like a, it's a, it's a hidden curse that the Mets' best all around offensive player plays first base because you see the way the league is shifting and it's that usually first base is a position that's open because it's kind of been shown by a lot of smarter teams like the Rays and the Dodgers. And last year you see the Red Sox who have behind bloom from the Rays that that's a position that if it's kept as a revolving door, since the defense is so irrelevant relatively to the other positions on the diamond, you can kind of create a higher offensive ceiling for your own team by moving guys in and out of there and just hoping they catch the ball when it comes to them. But the fact that that position isn't open for the Mets platoon, not saying I want to be Pete Alonzo, I said again, I think is secretly one of the best hitters in baseball. People have not really come around to it yet. You've kind of put yourself in a position where you need to make sure that your talent at the other positions can play premium defense. And you might be sacrificing a little bit of offense to do that. So that's where those three players, the bottom of this roster, you can even throw Robinson Cano into that mix. I think he is, he should be talked about in accordance with those three other guys as guys who are, giving you something that this roster might not necessarily need. I almost probably even take McNeil out of that. Cause he gives us something the roster does need, which is strong defense at multiple positions, but it's hard for me to reason how you can have all three of those guys as Dom JD and Cano on this roster while having enough bench spots to keep the train moving. Otherwise. Yeah. Like I, I think I, I wouldn't be, I think you have to give Cano a shot just because he's going to be a very expensive piece. And I don't think anyone's, I agree sold on him being um, you know, available and even valuable in a trade. I think maybe if he shows he still has a, has a bat, yeah, the Mets could probably eat some money and move him down the line. But, you know, I, I know I just brought him up a minute, a minute ago, but Luis Guillorme, like Luis Guillorme, his defense is certainly good enough to plug in second or third on any given night. His bat, you know, he's never, he's never going to be a power guy, but, you know, he, he's been a, Average to above average hitter, probably going back to like the end of 2019. Um, he's still got options left. I think that he could be an extremely integral part of this team. I think Khalil Lee. I think Khalil Lee could have a huge, huge year. But again, with without the um, the roster spots and the the ability to kind of move guys around and get everyone reps, keep everyone fresh, I just don't see how a Guillaume, a Khalil Lee, um, uh, uh, yeah, plumber is gonna, you know, how are these guys gonna actually be those impact players that the front office hopes that they can be? Uh, more, more so on Lee and Plumber, but um, yeah. you know, how do you make that all fit? I I agree with you about Guillaume. I think that he's a guy who absolutely has to be on this team. And if you look at the last few years in terms of WRC plus, which is a great way to show how hitters perform and compare it to everybody else in the league, it's a weighted statistic. He's consistently above league average, and a lot of that comes from his plate discipline. Yeah. And that doesn't even take anything into account his defense, where he's slick at three positions on the infield. I know he had that awful game in Cincinnati, and a lot of Mets fans, especially in uh, the more ornery types, kind of gave up on him after that for no good reason whatsoever. He is a guy that this roster like really lacks and would really, really, really need to be a part of. But again, for all these guys to fit, and you, you, I do see a lot of upside in a guy like Khalil. You can come up this year and play corner outfield well, take walks and have some power. And Play good defense out there. A guy like Nick Plummer can do something similar probably with a Nick Plummer. Thank you. I couldn't remember his first name. Yeah, Nick Plummer. <laughs> yeah. But he's he's a guy who was like in top hundred prospects list as recently as 18 months ago. And he's a guy yeah. who gets on base a lot and hits for power and can be acceptable in the outfield. 
you, hey, it, cool. this really starts to make much more sense when you scrub this bench clean of the more one-dimensional players. And sadly, the Mets have three of those guys on the team right now. And it's kind of hard to see where they fit along with other upside pieces in this organization. Because I even think about a guy like Mark Vientos, who probably, if he mashes a AAA for 50 games next year, there'd be no reason not to have him on the major league roster, especially if the DH exists in the National League, which all signs point to that happening. And again, like you kind of just have to find ways to unload. I don't know. I know you love Dom Smith. You're not going to want to hear this, but you probably have to find ways to unload a guy like that because I don't know what value he can bring this team besides just being a backup first baseman. If you have to back up any position on the diamond, I want it to be a guy who can play more positions or a more premium defensive position. Like look at what the Dodgers were able to do last year with Albert Pujols. They were able to pull Albert Pujols, one of the best right-handed hitters in the history of baseball, off the scrap heap for free. And they were able to hide him on defense and hit him exclusively against lefties. And he turned in a season that was well above league average. Like you're able to kind of do more creative things with your lineup and create offense in more unique ways when you have some non-premium positions open. And that's why another thing with the Mets I've talked about a lot, I don't know if I were them, I would actually jump and give a lot of money to a guy I want to lock in as a DH. You, if you kind of keep that rotational, you have more opportunities in season to see exactly what you have and then create space where you need it rather than I have a guy locked in, I have to make everyone else fit in a more specific way of the puzzle. Yeah. And I think that's, that's kind of what leaves so many doors open for when the Mets or when the lockout is lifted and the roster freezes are, uh, our thought is that, you know, the Mets can go any which way. And I know that Chris Bryant's kind of been poo pooed as a not real option. Um, I still think his versatility fits so much better than any other available guy out there. You stick him in left, stick him in third, stick him in first, stick him in center. It it it, it makes everything work better. Yeah, you, you have to. And I agree. Yeah, I don't want to see as a fan. I don't want to see Dom Smith moved as um, quote unquote Mets analyst. Yeah, I get it. You know, and he is he is a very competent first baseman um, and can be a, a, an above average offensive contributor. But you know, when you have the ability to add more pieces to just, I guess, optimize the value of your roster, you do it. And uh, if that if that means getting rid of, you know, fan favorites, then, you know, so be it. Because, you know, in October or November, when we're all celebrating a World Series, hopefully in October or November sometime soon, I guess it'll be worth it. But, um, you know, part of the game. Yeah, definitely. And I, I will I will push back on Chris Bryant's versatility a little bit. While he does play the outfield and he's back there and again, he, he is playing, he's not really ever graded out particularly well back there. And I think it no. says a lot that one of the most data and information forward teams in the league, such as the Giants, completely poo-pooed the idea of re-signing him almost immediately after getting a very close look for two months. So I think while he does give you some versatility, I think that a guy already in the roster, Jeff McNeil, while having less of an offensive ceiling, does give you a little bit better defensive versatility. Even though McNeil, for some reason, has had some yips with throwing the ball across the diamond here and there. I don't see any reason why he can't do it. But he's definitely a better outfielder than Chris Bryant. I would say at this point, possibly even a better infielder and with less less of an injury history. I just, if they're going to spend that money, I think you can create a third base, like a combination of third and second base platoons with Davis, McNeil, Escobar, and, and, um, and Guillaume, where you are getting basically league average or better than that production on both sides of the ball with those four guys mixing and matching how they do. And they should put as many resources as possible again towards that pitching staff. I think that is absolutely the more important issue facing this team right now. James Shiano with the, with the blueprint to, to glory. I love it. That's me, man. I got ideas.
Yeah, we, we dig that, man. Um, dude, I can't thank you enough for coming on. This this has been so much fun. Oh, I had one more question. Starling mm-hmm. Marte, is he going to be an all-star this year or back to all-star caliber? I think he could be all-star caliber, but I'm not sure that he's going to be an all-star. No, yeah, yeah, I, I should have said all-star caliber. I just had yeah. AS with a star next to it. And I said, oh, no, no, no never mind. <laughs> you see these outfielders in the National League, and there's, there's, there's some guys out there who are going to be hard to jump between an Acuna so, though, I don't know, Kristen Yelich could jump back. Cody Bellinger could jump back. Wherever Nick Castellanos signs. There's a lot of a lot of very strong outfielders. But, I mean, Stalling Marte can. I know he's 33 years old, but the guy's, like, chiseled out of granite. He looks incredible for his age. He Riding the hard- freaking horses last week. Yeah, he hit the hardest baseball of his career last year, and Max Exit Velocity is a good predictor of, like, power. And he's, he's even shown, like, a little bit more power than he did early in his career. He stole 50 bags last year. I don't think Mets fans should expect that again just because of – Mets organizationally have run much less than a couple other teams in baseball, namely the Marlins, who we stole a lot of those bases with in 2021. But yeah, guy's a good player. I don't know how they give him the four years, but he's a, he's a hell of a bat. Yeah. Hey, Joey Cora is a third base coach now, and he's extremely aggressive. Maybe maybe times are changing. We'll, we'll see. Hey, Joey Cora has been aggressive his whole life. I uh, shared a story in the Messed Up podcast after they hired him for when he was either an A-ball or double A-ball, where he kind of got into it with fans during a game. <laughs> and while he was waiting for the bus, this was again the nineties when Joey Cora was a player. Uh, I remember the nineties. Well, yes. Yeah. A couple fans actually snuck up on him on the bus and stabbed him Two or a group of two or three. Wait, what? Yes. Is the story Joe happened to Joey Cora down the minor leagues in the mid nineties. Oh, in the minor leagues. Yeah. While he was, he was in the Mets organization. No, I don't think he was ever in the Mets organization. I think he was at the pirate. I don't oh, I'm sorry. Alex Cora was in the Mets organization. Yes, yes, yes. Alex Cora. Isn't his brother. But yeah, he was apparently got into it with some fans and he was stabbed waiting for the team bus by those fans. Of Jeez. course, they were taken into custody. Everything turned out okay. Cora missed a month and came back to hit. But there's a guy who's uh, not going to back down from a challenge. Yeah. I guess. Who's the outfielder in San Diego? Uh, same thing happened last year. He got stabbed oh, in a park. Yeah, Tommy Fam. And he, he's another interesting free agent option for the Mets. I do think yeah, they need, I was just going to say. Yeah, they need a right-handed bat who can play the outfield and crush lefties. If you ever, I, th- I still think Nimmo's a very, a very, very good player, but there's still oh, a chance that against against some lefties, you might want to sit him. And Mark Hanha, as good as he has been, he's not exactly like a, a world beater. And I think the thirteen million dollar price tag or eleven, whatever it was, dollar price tag we paid him shows that he's not a guy you're probably going to see six hundred at bats from. I think it would help the Mets to get another outfielder in, whether it be Fam or. Uh, McCutcheon fan. Oh, oh my God. I would love Kutch, man. He hits. He yeah. hit, he's like Pujols. He hit lefties so well last year because he was used right. Yeah. And he can still give you some defense. He, he'd be a great influence in the clubhouse. I know in the past, again, I don't know Tommy fan, but people have said that he's not exactly the most uh, cordial member of a baseball team. He did get stabbed <laughs> in the nightclub. So I think that also leads to someone being maybe not the most likable, but both of those guys would be good. Uh, sneaky right-handed bench options for the Mets who could definitely use another right-handed hitter. You know, and <laughs> He's a left-handed hitter, but I, I, I swear I'm sold on Jorge Soler. I think he would be an ideal bench player. And I know his defense gets shitted on a lot because in KC, he didn't play a lot out there. Yeah. I mentioned it on the pod here. I think it was with Steven and Ray Correa, but Atlanta, they actually moved him in a few feet and it seemed to really work for his defensive metrics. And, and we all saw how, how uh, effective he was in the playoffs last year. I would certainly be intrigued if you can bring him in for a, for a, a very, you know, low, not, of course, it's not going to be extremely low risk, but low enough risk. I think he could really be an impact guy. I agree. I just don't know if Solaire, who uh, he's, he's, he's a ready as well. I don't know if he would. He's a ready. He, yeah, he's a ready. Do you remember that home run he hit in game, oh, uh, yeah, in game yeah, five or game you, six way you. over the Crawford boxes? He's a ready. He's a ready. Who am I thinking of? Sure. 
I don't know who you're thinking of. Lefty, free agent. <laughs> I don't know. Yes, me neither, apparently. Maybe Schwarber? No. No. Or Rosario? No, Eddie, Eddie Rosario. Eddie Rosario. Definitely Eddie yeah. Rosario. That's what you're thinking of. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Soler is good, but I think I don't know how willing he'd be to sign on to a team after the postseason he had where he would like definitely not be a starter, you know? Oh, you know, I, I think that it's, it's, I guess it would be a shame to stick a 40 homer guy on the bench, but, um, boy, that's the type of depth you kind of want, right? Look at it worked for this worked for the Braves. Oh, for sure. I would be, if these guys are willing to accept these roles, I'm ready to take on any starting caliber player who would be okay with only getting 300 to 450 at bats this season. That's something that the good teams always are able to do, or be able to pull minor leaguers to fill those roles. You just have to make sure everybody buys in and usually usually dollars and cents help with that. Ah, man, we've gotten off tangent here, but it's fun. It's been a good time. Oh yeah, man. The great time. James, uh, please plug your uh, social media outlets where you, where we can find you work, all that fun stuff. Everyone uh, check me out on Twitter. It's either had no range uh, messed up podcast. Me and Mark Luino giraffe neck. Mark, we're doing great things over there. It's going to be a big season for us. I'm going to be doing a lot more fancy baseball stuff too, with pitcher list over the next few weeks. I have a bum going to be doing some more podcasting with them. that I can't really share right now during the season, but that's going to be, a lot more, a lot more of my voice. If that's something that you've liked so far in this hour or a half hour, 45 minutes, whatever this is wound up being, but yeah, check me out there. Jeter had no range on Twitter. And I can't believe I didn't get to your Twitter handle. I wanted to ask <laughs> you about Jeter had no range. Next time you come on, I'm going to have to have my brother here. You guys will get along famously. Oh, great. Yeah, is he a Yankee fan? No, he's a Mets fan, but he is, um, has just absolutely no respect for Derek Jeter as a ball player. Zero. He thinks he, oh, was no, a product, he thinks he was a product of being a Yankee. He said, yeah, I, I have well, some respect for Derek Jeter, but if he what's was a Kansas, his favorite he would... line, right? It's 3,500 plus hits. How can he not respect the guy? But what was his line? He said, put him in Miami. Well, now that he's in Miami, but he said it for years. He said, put him in Miami and he's not Derek Jeter. Put him in Milwaukee. and He's not Derek Jeter. You put him in Milwaukee. I, I disagree with him. I like Derek Jeter. <laughs> I thought he was a Robin great ball player. Not even play. better when it mattered. Was he good defensively? Oh. As good as they said? Probably not, but. It is what it is. No, he was famous. He was like the face of Major League Baseball for a while. That's valuable in his own right. The the the, the ledger of women he was able to have relationships <laughs> with without becoming a pariah in the media was very impressive. But I just, I don't know, the lore, the lore that we give Derek Jeter is something. And the name, the name has his own story. That if you want to share now, cool. But if not, we can, we can hold it for next time. I'm a big fan of Jeter. Um, I was, I, I'm, I'm like the, the, the lone, not, I'm a Mets fan who doesn't hate the Yankees. So I've always had, a, you know, I've always appreciated him. Big fan of, of Cheater the executive. I hope he can really turn out, turn around uh, Miami because Cheater the executive has made one really good move, and that was hiring Kim Inc. to to run that team because yeah. she's 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 really brilliant. She's going to do great things down there. Well, he's building around pitching. He's building around and, and well, uh, Kim and and I guess the the whole idea of moving the the organization in a certain direction. They're building around pitching. They're building around young, very talented players. I think Jazz and uh, and Jesus Sanchez are, you know. Two extremely good players. They got more in the prospects. All right. Now we've gone way over time. James, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. This was a really great time. And um, yeah, we, we, we have to have you back on. Hi, Tim. This was great. And again, Marlon's building around pitching. We've never seen that not work out before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, guys. We'll see you next time. Um, we'll be back next week, hopefully with good news on this lockout. And you know the, you know the sign-off. Let's fucking go Mets. We'll see you. Peace. <laughs>